And welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. December 22nd. It is a Tuesday, and we've got NBA basketball tonight. We've got Orlando Magic basketball tomorrow, and we've got Brandon Kravitz on the line from 96.9 The Game, our flagship station here in Orlando from In The Zone. You hear him every day uh, from 3 to 6 o'clock, and you'll hear him on the broadcast with me co-hosting the pregame, the halftime show, and the postgame back for his third year on the Orlando Magic radio network and big day big week uh, for the organization we had extension signed yesterday for Jonathan Isaac Markel Fultz sort of lock up that future we've got the Miami Heat in the house tomorrow on Wednesday to start the regular season and we've got fans in the building uh, beginning tomorrow at Amway Center Uh, small number going to keep it right around 2,000 to start we had sort of a soft opening in the final two preseason games at Amway Center and as we bring BK in Brandon, the, the Magic are trying something that only five teams across the league are trying to do. Um, I was down there for these preseason games. The safety protocols are mind-blowing. You've got different tiers. You've got uh, different areas of, uh, of clearance and people, you know, passive travel. You've got apps that you have to get through. Um, the idea of having fans in the stands right now, you know, we know that the protocols are going to be in place to keep things safe. Do you think BK like this could be an actual home court advantage um, as we get things going here? There's only a couple, a couple teams and a couple arenas that are are actually going to have people uh, in the stands. How how big a difference do you think that can make? I think there's an advantage there. I don't think it's very big uh, just because we're talking about a quarter of the size of the arena, but certainly having those fans cheering you on, uh, I think will be an assistance. I guess that would be the best way to put it. I don't think it's so much of a home field or a home court advantage as, as much as it's a home court assistance from the guys and gals that are able to come into the arena. But what a cool experience for them. You know, Jake, in, in all of the conversations that I've had with people that have been able to attend sporting events, and I have not gone since the pandemic, and they've started allowing in different stadiums, whether it's Orlando City or it's the Tampa Bay Bucks or other teams around the state, I haven't gone yet, but I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that are in love with the experience because you go, you're not worried about fighting for parking spots. There's no lines at the concession. There's no lines at the bathroom. You don't have anybody rubbing shoulders with you, especially for those outdoor games, which you don't have to worry about at the Amway Center, where you've got like the the guy with the sweaty elbows rubbing up on you in the seat next to you. Oh, you mean mean every Tampa game I've ever been to? Pretty much, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, imagine having two seats in between you and anybody else that's at the game and you're just kicking back. It's a much more relaxing experience. Now, no stadium operator or owner of a team wants to hear any of that because you want us to get back to a point we're able to fill these stadiums and arenas up. And that's, you know, th- that excitement is definitely missing. And you can see that on TV. But it is amazing what a limited fan base will do for the atmosphere. And that's what I'm excited about. I think they did a good job with the NBA bubble and making it feel like an NBA game. But you can't replace real people. And so to have that on some of these broadcasts again – I think it's going to be a lot of fun. No, and Magic players have been talking about, like Evan Fournier was, he was making a big deal out of it. He, he said, this is a really big deal for us, just getting back to Amway Center and getting some of that routine back. Um, and, and you're right. I don't think 2,000 fans are going to, um, to create such a raucous atmosphere, but I do think that sort of comfort level uh, with the players, it, it, it does make a little bit of a big, a little bit of a difference um, just to sort of get them, sort of ease their minds a little bit and get them back sort of comfortable with what they're used to. I hadn't thought about that, <laughs> about attending a game and the different, you know, all the things that used to annoy you um, about being in a 60,000 fan stadium, which obviously you overlook because you want to be close to the action. You, you can sort of strip all that away um, and still get that experience. I love the fact I was thinking about this during the preseason games when there are only a handful of people in a building like that, um, you can hear everything anybody says. And so if, right. you're one, if you're one of these people close to the action, um, you, you know, you've got, it's like having a megaphone um, at a game. You've got, you've got a bit of a spotlight on you and, uh, and yeah, you could, you could, you could be a celebrity if you yell the right thing out. I think that's, that's kind of, well, but I also think that it might actually hold some people back. I think part of the reason why fans, you know, those fans, the ones that yell all sorts of things, 
and we've been down close to the action to, to hear exactly what it is they're yelling at these players. Um, it, they hide I think it behind might actually the, the, slow the them crowd, down right? a little bit. Yeah. You know, where they're thinking, okay, I, there, there's nobody else around me. They're going to know this is coming from me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's an interesting point. I would think the, you know, when Westbrook comes to town, he won't be, uh, he won't be quite as, uh, quite as much of a target as he usually is uh, in other NBA cities. We got uh, Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac locked up yesterday. I think for Magic Fade, it, it, both of those guys are very interesting because you obviously have injury issues with J.I., um, and, and they've followed him throughout his career, right? It's not just this. Um, Jonathan Isaac has to prove, and it's, it's, you know, it stinks to say, but he's got he's to stay on the floor. And so um, there's some risk involved there. And, you know, rarely do you see a guy who's going to miss the entire season get locked up for an extension. But I think it's, you know, it wasn't a difficult decision because you see when he is on the floor and when he is healthy, especially the first half of last year when he was playing probably better defensively than anybody in the league, you see what he can be with Markel. It's, you know, there's obviously some risk involved, but all we've seen from Markel here in Orlando is a consistent player, a healthy player, and one who is sort of on the ascent in his career. Um, you look around the league and, and there are, you know, a lot of question marks with some of these extensions signed. I think it, it made a whole lot of sense for the Magic to lock those guys down, um, but I can see the flip side where some people would say, okay, yeah, you, you know, you, you pay them, you lock them down. Now they have to prove that they're worth those numbers. What was your reaction? What kind of reaction have you heard from fans to both of those extensions, BK? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think fans always look at the sticker price and there's that shock there. And sometimes you have to remember, it's not, it's not about what a guy gets paid. Whenever you see a $50 million, $80 million contract, especially for somebody that hasn't reached the peak of what you're expecting from them. And both of these guys are Jonathan Isaac a little bit closer when he's on the floor of getting there and Markel Fultz is on his way. <clears throat> it looks like he's trending in the right direction, which is what you want to see. Otherwise, you wouldn't lock a guy up for an extension. It's not about what the price is. It's about what, what is it relative to in the NBA. For a guy like Markel Fultz, he's getting paid in the range of Ricky Rubio uh, with Phoenix or, 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 uh, or, uh, or excuse me, Minnesota, um, it, Luke Kennard. Uh, I mean, these are the contracts that are relative to what Markel Fultz is getting paid. You're talking about a starting point guard with upside that's only getting better, uh, getting paid $16 million a year. To me, it's a no-brainer for Markel Fultz. I think there's a little bit more – I think there's a little bit more hesitancy for some people when it comes to Jonathan Isaac. That's part of his injury history. It's also part of the injury history that the Magic have dealt with and, more importantly, Magic fans have dealt with that they're tired of seeing that. And, and it's hard to talk somebody off the ledge when it comes to that. But I think it's a risk for both sides. I think there's a different way to look at this when it comes to Jonathan Isaac, because this is a risk for him too. He was set to become a free agent in the following offseason. And if there's a team out there that feels like he can get back to the form that he was at prior to the injury, you're talking about an all-NBA defensive level player. Those guys are not getting paid $20 million a year. They're closer to the 25 range, especially when we're talking about into the future. So he actually signed at a bargain for the talent that he has and the upside that he still has to, to show to NBA fans. Um, so in that way, the Magic kind of got a little bit of a break financially. Isaac gets that security and then also – you know, he doesn't have to worry about entering free agency. So I think it's best for both sides, but it's also risky for both sides for that reason. Yeah, you look at the Gobert deal, and, and Jonathan Isaac is not Gobert yet, but I do think that's, you know, that's a, that's a possibility if he can get healthy and stay on the floor. Uh, there's only a handful of players who can affect the game defensively like Rudy Gobert and Jonathan Isaac, and, uh, and Gobert gets you a max deal. So if, it, if J.I. can get back to what we saw at the first half of last year on this number, on this contract – uh, he's going to be outplaying that number, um, certainly. Cole Anthony, are you getting response? I, I don't even think a, a lot of fans around Orlando realize that the NBA is starting because it's just been such an odd sort of preseason um, and start to the regular season. And, and usually the beginning of the, of the NBA season, especially when it's in you know, late October and into November, takes a bit of a backseat. Christmas Day is usually sort of the, oh, yeah, that's right, we're 15, 20 games into the NBA season um, as far as like a national sports fan spotlight goes. Um, but hey, are you starting to get a sense that through four preseason games, the Magic might have really hit 
hit gold here uh, with the 15th pick, Cole Anthony. He's been exciting so far. And, and what I think, look, there's, the story is there already, right? Greg Anthony's his dad. He's a UNC guy. Uh, he was a highly rated recruit coming out of high school. And so anybody who's locked in, I think, was probably a little excited when the Magic made that pick and, and just the fact that Cole was available um, at 15. But through four preseason games, if you've watched – he does some things that nobody else on the roster does. I mean, this is an aggressive bucket-getting type guy, and he can score on all three levels. Um, he, I think Magic fans pretty quickly, if they haven't taken notice just yet, uh, pretty quickly they're going to be excited about this guy. This is what Magic fans have been asking for for the last several years. Yeah. You want somebody who is aggressive offensively, who can create their own shot, and is a skilled offensive player in this league. And it looks like he has all the makings of that. He certainly has the bloodlines for it. Um, he looked really good at UNC, even though that was a really bad UNC team. I know he wasn't as good after the injury, but I still – I mean, I remember watching that first game that he played because he was such a highly touted recruit, and they played against Notre Dame. And I think if my memory serves me right, he scored like 34 points in that yeah. game. And I just remember thinking, this guy's going to be an absolute star. And then not everything worked out perfectly in that season for him but I was so excited to see the magic draft him I love what I've seen so far in the preseason I try not to react to it because I've I've just I've been duped so many times from summer league performances and then preseason and I I feel like all I want to see I don't want to get I don't want to fall in love with the stat sheet is do you look like you belong does it look like you fit into the equation? Uh, do you size up well with other NBA players? And so far, I see that with Cole Anthony. So that's what I like about it. What does he do when the lights are shining brighter and there's an actual regular season and we're talking game in, game out, when everybody's putting their best foot forward? I'm very curious to see what that looks like, but I'm hopeful. And I think, honestly, part of the reason for me, I was so excited when they made this pick because – I start doing my college basketball watching right around March when they shut everything down. And so I knew very few of these guys going into the draft. Never mind the fact that you've got all these guys that get drafted overseas that I'm not watching. But for the guys that get drafted out of college, it's March Madness. Those are the guys that I'm, I'm filling out my bracket and then watching that play out and then right. falling in love with these players. Cole Anthony was one of about three guys that I had actually gone out of my way to watch that got drafted this year. I think for a lot of people that watch the NBA, that's the case. Uh, that's when most people check into college basketball. And so Cole Anthony, just getting somebody that you're already familiar with, I think is, is great. It creates that extra little bit of juice going into the start of the season. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I was the same way, but I always – I hesitate to – it's kind of like you with the preseason. Like I always try to back myself away from players that I've watched – um, because I feel like there's that inherent bias. Like just because you've seen somebody doesn't mean are familiar with somebody doesn't mean that that's the right pick. Um, right. So I made sure I reserve judgment on the pick until I actually saw him on the floor. And and no, I think I think you know it, familiarity is one thing, but seeing a guy who who looks like he belongs, like you said, through the preseason, um, he's already sort of checked that box for me. So I think the idea of potentially a Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony backcourt. Uh, in some games together, having both of those creators on the floor pushing pace. Um, that's exciting. And like you said, just having a guy. Now you think about that second unit, Brandon, and you've got Terrence Ross, who we know like steps on the floor and he's getting shots up. And you've got Cole Anthony, who is almost as aggressive as T. Ross, but in a different type of way. I mean, Cole's going to break guys down off the dribble and create for his teammates from there. Now you've got some spark. Uh, certainly within that second unit. So I think there's, uh, the, there, there's reasons to be excited there. I think Chumo Kiki is obviously a, a completely different player, but I like what I've seen from him so far. He feels like just a, a solid sort of, he's not going to take away from other, um, other guys offensively. He's going to space the floor. He's going to take open shots when they're there. Uh, and when they're not, he's going to come off it. He's going to keep the offense flowing. And then I think the potential defensively is obviously um, you know, what the Magic front office fell in love with when you look at that guy, you think about now Fultz and Isaac locked up, uh, Anthony and Okiki in their rookie seasons, and, and you like what you've seen so far from both of those guys. It, we've talked 
about it for years past, but now you have that balance. You've got what looks like the future of the franchise. I haven't even mentioned Mo Bamba yet, and there's still a lot of question marks around Mo as he gets healthy coming off of COVID, but you've got that sort of core in line um, that you feel like you could build around moving forward. And then on top of that, you still have Evan and Vooch uh, and Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross. It feels like a good balance this year, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and, I, and I think that this, what makes this year so interesting is that we're only a couple months removed from the last basketball season. There was, there was movement in the stunted offseason free agency period that we had. You had draft picks that are having to quickly acclimate themselves to their new lineups. And I'm sure that there is not a broadcast that you have done, Jake, when talking about this team where you have not used this word, and there's a reason for it. Sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason. Continuity is Mm -hmm. going to be the key for this team. But I think if you want to see where the spark comes from, where's that little bit of extra? Because you're going to need it. The Eastern Conference didn't get any worse. In fact, I think it got a lot better in the offseason. Uh, you just look at what happened to the Nets, just getting Durant and, and Kyrie Irving back, and then Russell Westbrook now with the Wizards. You're going to need more. Continuity will keep you where you are, and that's nice. You need more. Where does that come from? That comes from the, un- that comes from the, uh, the unknown. Those yeah. guys, Chumo Kiki, Cole Anthony, what do they give you? Does Mo Bamba take that leap that we've been waiting for? Everybody wants to see a guy pop in year one and year two. It doesn't always work that way, especially for big men in the NBA. So we shouldn't be shocked that we haven't seen the best or anything close to it from Mo Bamba. If you start seeing that second unit really emerge, then I think this team could make some noise. You know, what does that look like? We'll have to wait and see. But that we know what you're getting from the starting unit. If that second unit can come off and give them a spark game in and game out, even with all the inexperience that's there, I think that's, that's where the excitement lies in this season. Well, the partnership's been great uh, with iHeart with 96.9 The Game. Uh, 104.5, their sister station, is, uh, is, is our backup. We'll have some games on that station throughout the year. Our podcasts, including this one, um, are available on iHeart. You're going to be with me all season long on the pre-halftime and post-game broadcasts. Uh, let's do it. I'm ready to go. It, 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 it's weird. It feels strange. It's, it's Christmas week. We're starting the season. There's been a pandemic. Everything's been been kind of nuts but i'm excited to go bk and i'm excited to work with you again this year yeah well same and uh i've i've learned not to have a routine anymore so i kind of <laughs> just wake up and get, just what does the day have to bring so i'm excited I, I i mean this this season really came up very quickly but it's the nba season and this is this is what uh, this is what we want as basketball fans is more basketball you had a very you had a very short break and we get right back after it and I'm pumped. I can't wait for the season Can to start. Can you imagine doing this year with, with like a, without a smartphone calendar, with like a, with like a day planner? No. No. <laughs> I know you. I look that. at it. I'm, Jake, I'm not kidding. I look at my calendar probably five to six times an hour. Yeah. And I still miss stuff. And we're still missing stuff. I forgot to press <laughs> record at the beginning of this podcast. We're crying out loud. All right. Uh, he's Brandon Kravitz. Make sure you listen to him every day on In The Zone, FM 96.9 The Game, our uh, – our flagship station, uh, BK. I'll talk to you tomorrow night. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Part two of the magic weekly podcast. Very excited to welcome in an old friend. One of the best doing it. He's been kicking ass, uh, for hoops habit and you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Duncan Smith NBA. He is the site expert for hoops habit, pumping out all sorts uh, of content and, and very excited, obviously to get the season going. Duncan Smith, my guest here on the Magic Weekly Podcast. We're going to dip through uh, the Southeastern Division. We're going to start with the Miami Heat. Duncan's been uh, doing a great job with, with Heat content going back to last year. But with Hoops Habit, uh, you got content all over the place. The most recent article uh, on James Wiseman. The Warriors uh, excited to see James Wiseman in the starting lineup uh, to start the season on Tuesday night against the Brooklyn Nets. Dunk, how you doing, bro? It's good to hear from you. I'm doing great, Jake. How you doing? It's been far too long. Far too long. It feels like it hasn't been far too long since the end of the season, but it's certainly been far too long since you and I have gotten on and, uh, and done a podcast. How's Hoops Habit going for you? I, I see it, what, I, daily it feels like you got new pieces up. And I know, you know, you and I met in Detroit and you still do a great job covering the Pistons. Um, you always sort of have like a secondary team that you're working on, but I, I'm sure it feels good to you to, to be making NBA content and kind of be able to do whatever it is you want. 
Oh, it's great. Um, you know, the Pistons are sort of like a home base when I, I just, I need to crank out some stuff or, you know, the, the Pistons are always kind of front of mind, especially uh, with their very interesting off season they've had so far. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to just like crank out a bunch of Pistons stuff, but then also you can only spend so much time thinking about the Detroit Pistons, you know, you gotta, you gotta yeah. step back a little bit detox and then you know let's let's think about uh, james wiseman for example or write about the heat or the magic or uh, you know the sixers are a team that uh that really fascinates me for a lot of reasons so that's another team that i've been uh kind of working the beat for um for, for hoops habit so yeah it's it's been a lot of fun it's been an extremely rewarding extremely busy time um and uh i, I started there right before the trade deadline in february and I have not had a normal day since. It's been fantastically uh, bizarre. <laughs> now, wait a second. You said you said sometimes you have to detox from covering the Pistons. Inherently, that means that it's toxic for, for you oh, to. Well, well. I'm not going to put those words in your mouth. Uh, but let's just let's just do Pistons real fast, uh, yeah. just because that's that's your my uh, most common bond. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about Troy Weaver. I think the off season. Um, there's some question marks there, but at the very least, they're making changes, right? Well, they're making changes. Uh, I think there was some change for change's sake uh, here and there, uh, maybe at a loss, which to me is not something you do as a rebuilding team. Um, you know, I, I think that there was probably a lack of respect for asset management uh, at, at some point and uh, occasionally. Um, you know, we, we saw the Pistons basically throw uh, a whole bunch of second round draft picks at the LA Clippers to get rid of Luke Kennard. And uh, yesterday the Clippers uh, took that salary dump and gave him a four-year extension. So, um, you know, I guess one man's trash, I, I tweeted this yesterday, so I'm kind of recycling my own content, but uh, one man's trash is uh, another man's treasure essentially um, for the Clippers. So it, there are things like that that kind of concern me. Um, but, you know, it, we're, we're just, months really into Weaver's administration and just a few weeks into his ability to uh, click buttons and make moves. So we will see. I'm extremely concerned, but we will see how things play out. It's only recycling content. If you, if you retweet your own tweet, like once you cross media and, and now you're, you're on a podcast, it's not, it, it, it's new to podcasters ears or podcast listeners ears. Um, so we'll take it. I, I we're talking extensions and Luke Kennard's deal was one that certainly raised eyebrows um, across NBA Twitter, if nothing else, but definitely across the league. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me what you thought about Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac. What were your reactions to the to the JI and the Markel deals? Well, I think on it, on its face right now, just looking at uh, Isaac in particular's injury history and you know potential outlook, like hopefully everything works out health wise for him down the road. But four four years, eighty million does seem like a, a pretty substantial gamble. Um, you know, I. If if he's healthy and he's able to put together a productive, uh, bountiful career, like it's going to be a good deal. It's going to age well. I think. You know, I'm I'm hopeful that it, it works out. Right now, I mean, I have my concerns, but uh, you, know, you can you can you can only go so wrong when you're gambling on young talent, right? Uh, as for Markel, I I feel actually a little more optimistic about him. I just, I just feel like things are going to come together for Markel you know I think that he's going to put the pieces together uh you know maybe that's based on nothing but like my own hopefulness for him but um yeah I I feel better about the Markel extension than the uh than the J.I. one at this point you know next day uh, I know he's going to miss all of this season I think that that has not been uh changed um so uh, at least Markel is most likely going to get to be able to play through the the entirety of his extension uh, and then I think that's pretty exciting too. Uh, let's talk Miami because we've got the Heat and the Magic start the season at Amway Center on Wednesday, December 23rd. Um, I, you know, a lot of people knew Miami was good, but I don't think everybody expected them to make that run that they did uh, to the NBA Finals. As you look at this Heat team, if they just run it back, and they were able to make some some moves, like I think bringing in Mo Harkless is a really good underrated move um, for that group. But when you, when you look at this team, if they just run it back and they get basically – everything that they had going in the regular season, take the bubble out of it. If that regular season team shows up again this year, can, will they be back in the NBA finals or are they a championship contender? Or do you think that was kind of lightning in a bottle in the bubble um, and, and they still have some work to do? Well, I think I don't want to say lightning in a bottle exactly because I feel like that discredits what the heat did to some degree. 
but you know, it, it was sort of a perfect storm where this bubble environment um, was really breaking guys down all over the league, you know, like all 22 teams, everybody that ended up going on deep runs. Like I think LeBron said that he was having like nightmares and hallucinations in his room and stuff like that. Um, just from like being locked into this location that you can't leave basketball is it. Um, and for, for almost everybody, you know, that had a, a major negative impact but the heat that fed right into the way those guys do business you know like it seems as though like they'd love nothing more than just like putting you through the ringer and playing basketball and thinking basketball and talking basketball and just basketball 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 and that's exactly like the it's exactly like the um the recipe for for just crushing the bubble like they did uh, so effectively so you know i i think that like now that everybody's going to have at least a little access to the outside world um, you know, in so much as you can during the pandemic, uh, and the restrictions that uh, players and teams are going to have while uh, all things are still going on. Uh, it's going to be hard for them to replicate what they did last year. You know, they aren't going to have this, uh, this massive, massive mental edge that they had uh, last season, you know, three months ago now, <laughs> uh, two months ago, two and a half months ago. Uh, it, it's it's going to be really hard for them to capture that lightning in a bottle again. Um, so, I think that they're a really good Eastern Conference team, but I, I would be really surprised to see them make it in their finals run. Is there any element of that team? This, I guess this is kind of a similar question. Like, Hero and Robinson played so well in the bubble. Like, is there a, is there a part of, of that performance and is there a part of that team that you expect, like, no way they're able to replicate that? Is there, are people going to figure out Tyler Hero and, and Duncan Robinson or even some of the other role players? Um, or is that not – is that something that you do think um, is only – they're going to be able to build upon? Because I just thought – I looked at it and I said, hey, like, how can two players shoot like this? Um, but then when you think about when Jimmy and Bam are as effective as they are, if you're a good shooter around them, you're going to get good looks. And so I, I feel like the, the future is bright for that organization, but I still kind of think – um, kind of like we were saying, like, hey, they're going to have to have everything go right again in order to be back where they were. Yeah, that's basically right. And I, I think, too, that, um, that Robinson and Harrow can definitely take further steps from that, from that bubble performance, too. Like, um, you know, they, they really kind of came of age, but it wasn't, it wasn't that far off for the rest of their season. You know, I think, I think uh, Duncan Robinson was, like, the best shooter in the season going into the bubble and then just basically kept that up. And as for a, a rookie like Tyler Harrow, Tyler Harrow, like um, you never really know exactly what to, what you're going to get. Um, and he had some, some down moments and then he had some like obvious like monstrous scoring games in the playoffs. So um, I think that both of those guys are going to build on their, their play last, uh, last season. And uh, I don't think that, the uh, the crazy shooting that they they had from at times can just be sh- chopped up to the bubble. Uh, you know, I, we there were so many insane offensive performances uh, from from guys like this duo here, and then over in the Western Conference, you had Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. Um, but I believe I could be wrong about this, but I believe that league wide in the bubble, like shooting was only up slightly. Um, so some of it can be attributed to like the bubble environment and um, you know just the the sight lines for, for shooters. But I also think that some of that shooting was pretty legitimate. And I think that that's probably the case for, uh, for Harrow and for, uh, for Robinson. It's a good transition uh, talking shooting. Cause I want to ask you about the Atlanta Hawks. We saw them for the first two preseason games, um, Orlando up in Atlanta, bro, this team, I like, they can put lineups on the floor that I've never seen this many good shooters, right? When you go, Herter and Trey and Bogey and Gallo and I, it's it's a pretty ridiculous collection of shooters that you can put out there on the floor. Put those four guys around Clint Capella or something like that, or or even Hunter if you want to go small. Um, who's who's shooting the ball very well right now? John Collins is extending his range. I mean, this team has such great perimeter shooting. I think they're probably still a year away from from getting really good because they got to make all the pieces match, but. 
I've been very impressed with what they were able to do during the off season. Um, and just the thought, you know, and I didn't even mention um, uh, Reddish, for instance, the thought of what this team potentially could be maybe by the end of the season, uh, especially as far as shooting the basketball. What do you, what, what do you see with the Hawks this year? I think they could be a really fun offensive team, but they're obviously going to have a hard time stopping people, even with, uh, totally. you know, Chris Dunn. And uh, I, I don't know if we can really put Rajon Rondo in the, the whole stopper category. We'll anymore, see him in April. I mean, I, I yeah, think. yeah. We'll, we'll see long down the road, long down the road when, uh, when Rondo decides it's time to kick it in gear. Um, but yeah, I, they've, they've got a lot of scoring talent. It seems like they've got to make a trade though. Right. Like it, they, they brought in uh, Gallo said he's going to be starting the season behind John Collins and then John Collins didn't get his extension. So I don't know if you bring in Gallo in order to like back up Collins who then you don't extend. It just seems as though there's something's got to give, Mm. you know, somewhere along the line, whether that's John Collins or whether there's some sort of other maneuvering that they've got in mind. um, That's kind of where I keep coming back to, but you know, that's, that's probably something further down the road. Like right now, I think they're going to score a lot of points. They're probably going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I, I've moved them around in my, uh, my win totals and my standings. I think I have them in either eighth or ninth right now in the East. Um, I had them at eight before. Yeah. I've got them at eight still. Uh, not, that sounds about right to me. I mean, I think they're going to push yeah. for a spot. I do think in this, in, in this league, like, you know, defense is relative anymore. I mean, if you're, if you're going out and putting up, you know, 150, 120 points a night and shooting the ball, uh, the, with the capability that it feels like they can, um, then we'll see. The defense will catch up eventually. Like, I could see them being in the middle of the Eastern Conference, and I could see them being on the outside looking in. They're not going to suck, though. No, I think, you know, I would say that they're as close to a lock for the play-in, at least, as you can get. You yeah, know? They're for, for sure like a top-10 team, assuming no injuries. Top-10 in the East, assuming no injuries. You guys got a chance to see the Washington Wizards. Um, Pistons played them twice in the preseason. What – What's going on there? It, it feels like kind of good vibes right now with Scotty Brooks uh, and Russell Westbrook. And I think Russ, I think we, I, I, the, the opinion on Russell Westbrook goes so far in either direction, um, depending on what he's done yesterday or what he's done in the last season. I think we probably all, first off, somehow we all forgot the, the level of play last year after the trade deadline, like how good he was uh, with the Rockets. Um, and really all season. I mean, it took a while for them to figure things out. And just because he wasn't playing MVP caliber basketball like he did in Oklahoma, um, I think people thought that it, it was a big drop off and he was disinterested in, in whatever. Uh, I think this could work. I, I, if, you, if you told me I need a, a player in the backcourt next to Russell Westbrook, I'd want somebody like Brad Beal. If you told me I need a coach that's at, least, at the very least going to get the most out of Russell Westbrook, I've got some issues as far as X's and O's go with Scott Brooks, but I know he's got the right – um, the right mentality and the right approach to get the most out of Russell Westbrook. They still got a lot, a lot of young talent sort of around them. But um, I think, you know, you get Achi Moore back in there. He seems like he's got a lot left, sort of a lot of meat left on the bone, a lot of improvement um, to see there. And they bring back Bertans, who I love. I, I don't know. I could see this being a playoff team. Yeah, actually, I, I, had, I was quite low on them before the trade. And I think I had them when I, when I did my first – um, my first draft of win totals. I think I had them at like 28. Yeah. Uh, so pretty low in the Eastern, uh, the Eastern conference standings um, after the trade though, like you, you replace your starting point guard, which was, you know, a rotation of like uh, Ish Smith and various other parts from last year with John Wall out. And now you've got Russell Westbrook who can, who, who's now surrounded by a bunch of guys that can shoot the ball. Um, him and even if him and Bradley Beal kind of default to my turn, your turn for a while, it's not the only thing they can do together. Um, and they don't have to play small like the Rockets did last year because, you know, Davis Bertans is uh, a flamethrower from outside. Thomas Bryant can shoot a three or two. Um, and, you know, I, I think also, like you mentioned, Russ was fantastic having the trade deadline last season but he was also really good before the trade deadline like right. there was that i think i think from basically like the beginning of january on until the season was suspended um he was he was putting up like 32 8 and 8 for pretty much two and a half months um and then then of course like the bubble happened and he got covid and he hurt his quad i think and uh he, he never got quite right um but 
there is so much recency with uh, with Russ, like you mentioned. It's like, what did he do yesterday is kind of like how we judge him. And I think that might be in part because like we keep expecting the decline to, to come and come quickly. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've seen some, sh- some signs of decline, like the athleticism isn't quite what it used to be. And with Russ, when it goes, it's going to go pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not unfair to have that recency because you're, you're always expecting the shoe to drop, but um, he keeps finding ways to, to still matter. You know, he keeps finding ways to uh, still fairly effectively do the things that he does well. And I, I just think that in the Eastern Conference, Russ plus Bradley Beal and a handful of shooters can do some real damage. So I've got them like seventh in the East right now. I haven't, um, I could probably pull it up real fast. Um, what do you think about the Hornets? It's going to be a long year in Charlotte. Bad team. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to say that they're a bad team necessarily, but it's not going to win a lot. Um, I think uh, LaMelo is going to have his growing pains. Uh, do you think, let's go through that real fast because <laughs> I, there's going to be highlights, but that might be it. Yeah. We've seen some insane passes already in the preseason. Like some of these like floor length passes um, that really maybe only LaMelo and a couple other guys in the league can really do. Uh, Like there have already been some very legitimate highlights from, from him. Uh, But, you know, there's also going to be some, some real growing pains. Um, I think that, uh, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player for sure. Um, And he's going to show signs of it all. I think so. I think so. I, this I is still have my doubts. On, I, I really do. Yeah. I mean, this is based more on like what, uh, what some people who are high on him uh, have, have sort of made me think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm under no real illusions of my own ability to like, to guess how a, how a rookie is going to translate down the road. Um, but, you know, I see, I see some flashes that it intrigued me a lot. And then, um, and then some people who are, really good at projecting rookies and how they're going to, how they're going to end up. Um, they've kind of put more pieces together for me, you know, so you, you can never be too sure about a rookie that has, um, that has like non superstar potential. Cause I don't think that he's ever going to be that obviously, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm choosing to be optimistic at the very least. At this that point. sounds like Lonzo. I mean, but when you're talking about players who are picked second and third, you know, you're, the hope is that they, they do have superstar potential. I want to be shocked if LaMelo a couple of years from now is Lonzo, but I'm not sure. But I think the Hornets might be shocked if he's Lonzo a couple of years from now. That's probably a pretty good way of putting it. And I, I think that if, if the Hornets end up with Lonzo out of LaMelo, um, they should be pretty happy with that. Yeah. You know, especially in this draft, because, you know, you, like you said, you want like a superstar in that one or two slot in the draft, but this isn't that draft. No, you know, it's, it's true. Uh, that's fair. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I think anytime if, if, uh, if in a draft like this, a uh, player that projects like LaMelo probably does, I think if you can get another Alonzo, you're pretty happy with that most likely, especially considering Alonzo's not done growing and, and getting better as well. Your NBA predictions uh, tweeted 31 minutes ago from airtime or from uh, record time now. Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn, Toronto, your top four. Uh, Heat, Celtics, Wizards, Hawks, Pacers uh, will round out your top nine. Um, let's go Philly second. You, I'm guessing that that means you're not expecting them to make a, a massive deal or you're not expecting – heavy hardened to be in a Philadelphia uniform anytime soon? I don't think it's coming, you know, if at least not like early in the season, like maybe we're talking about a, a deadline deal. Um, although uh, some of the reports out of Houston of, of late maybe are going to uh, hasten the process. I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I didn't care about the thing that like you, you threw the ball at, um, at the rookie this morning. i I forget I'm drawing a blank on his name. I didn't really care that much about that, but apparently he is also since like clearing protocol, he's also been like um, partying maskless with strippers again. So to me, that's, that's uh, harder to excuse <laughs> than getting on a rookie in, uh, in practice. So right. uh, yeah, it, it seems as though he's really trying to force the, the issue. Um, but yeah, I, I think that with or without, Harden, the Sixers are probably going to be in that like 
that second-ish tier. That's that's kind of where I'm at because I'm also I'm really high on, on Ben Simmons as well with this roster construction and with uh, a fresh start with Doc. Um, you know, I, I think that Doc is going to figure out how to use these guys, which uh, Brett Brown never really was. And I also don't really care that much if if uh, Ben Simmons ever starts shooting the three. You know, like we we look at him and chastise him for not shooting threes, but then Russ goes out and shoots threes and he shoots 25% when he shoots. And we're like, why is Russ shooting threes? You know, Russ is not self-aware. Ben Simmons is. So it, it seems as though Ben just realizes that that is like not what he's good at. And he is, he's kind of sparing his team those, those bad shots essentially. Um, so I, I think maybe if, if Ben had a little bit more of Russ in him and if Russ had a little more of Ben in him, they'd both probably be a little bit better. Um, but I, I also think that he's exceptional at creating uh, three-point shooting opportunities for his teammates. I, I forget if he was second or third, I think, last season in, uh, in three-point assists, and that's for a team that didn't really shoot many threes and wasn't good at it when they, when they did shoot them. Um, so I think that now with guys like uh, Seth Curry, uh, a little more space for Tobias to operate, um, you know, I, I think that uh, this is a team that's definitely more capable of shooting a lot of threes uh, than, than last year. So I, I don't necessarily think that Ben has to be the one taking threes uh, for them to really kind of uh, optimize their offense. I'm so glad you said that about about Ben and Russ. I'll do you one better. It, it's a rough comparison because they're not anywhere near uh, – Ben Simmons is nowhere near as effective as Giannis is. But Giannis shoots five threes a game at a 30% clip. Like, like how come that's fine? Everybody's comfortable with that. But then with Ben, the fact that he doesn't shoot threes, uh, we destroy him for it. And, again, Giannis does everything else better than just about anybody else in the league. And so it's not like it, it sinks his value. He is the MVP. But, you know, I, I do think there's uh, – at some point, you have to give Ben Simmons credit for, for doing things that he's good at and not doing things that he's bad at. I think it'd be great if he could add it just, you know, to keep defenses honest um, a little bit. But uh, at the very least, the guy, special, the guy knows what he specializes in and sticks to that. That's right. And for that matter, like, unless Giannis is shooting 40% from three, guys are still going to keep giving him the three. You know, he's, <laughs> he's not going to keep defenders honest because they – they know that if they if they try to take away that three, he's going to blow by them and dunk in two steps. Yeah, you know. So so defenders, it it doesn't have that same kind of impact that other guys when they get a three point shot um, will have. You know, like a, a twenty a regular twenty five percent three point shooter that stretches out to like 36 percent. Now defenders are going to have to like pick their poison. That's not going to work with Giannis because defenders are just going to they're going to give him the three pointer. They're not picking poison. They are not going to get dunked on. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's a good point. That's a, that's a really good way to break it down um, with him. He could be, yeah, he could be shooting 45% um, and not and, and nobody, and he's so quick and he gets wherever he wants to get uh, so easily that it's never going to make a difference. Um, Brooklyn, what do you, what do you expect? I, I can't wait to see this team. Um, I'm, I think we're all undervaluing Durant, like somehow Kevin Durant coming back and being 75% of what he is is still probably the third best player in the league, the second best player in the league. Uh, I, I think he'll be fine. And I think he's, based on what I'm seeing, he's in a pretty good um, a pretty good mental space. It seems like he's just ready to ball. Obviously, I can't say the same necessarily for Kyrie. Um, he's, but he's being Kyrie. Maybe this is Kyrie in a good place, being weird and burning sage and doing all of these fun things. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to work. I think they've got a lot of talent. I think if nothing else, Steve Nash knows how to delegate. Uh, he's smart enough to know what he doesn't know. And as long as they stay off the cover of the tabloids and, um, and, and, and kind of get everybody under one accord within that locker room, I, I, hell yes, I could see them coming out of the Eastern Conference. And I would say I'd probably have them uh, a little ahead of you. I'd probably have them as the second best team um, in terms of my predictions just, just before the season starts. Yeah, I think that they're so talented at the top, you know, obviously with KD and, and Kyrie. Uh, and they also have, like, all this depth that got them to the playoffs last right. year. It, obviously, it was a weak playoff uh, playoff class. But still, you know, they got there. Um, and it was with uh, next to no contributions from Kyrie. I don't think – I think he had a couple good games, but overall he was not the Kyrie of old. 
Uh, and obviously nothing from KD. Um, but aside from that, like this is a, a pretty solid roster. I, they added Landry Shamit um, and brought back the, the majority of their cast of characters from last season. Um, so, you know, like their floor is still pretty good. And then they've got like two of the best players in the NBA that they're just plugging right in. Um, so, you know, that gives them such a high ceiling. And I think, I think anywhere in that one to one to four, probably because there's, there's just a lot of, uh, like health questions that won't really be answered until, um, you know, something happens with, with Katie or Kyrie, hopefully that, that won't be the case, but, um, you know, there, there still are some concerns as far as like this time, like maybe they'll get some sort of, uh, whatever, um, load management the NBA will allow, um, you know, over the course of the season, I'm sure there's going to be some missed games here and there, which will probably hurt their record, uh, and, and maybe hamper their standings. But, you know, that doesn't mean that they won't still end up the season being like the second best team in the East. Um, or, you know, who knows even better, like, uh, the Bucks are, very good, but they're not perfect. And the Bucks didn't have to deal with Kevin Durant last year. No, no, they didn't. And and there and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, just sort of how it how it starts with Milwaukee with all the um, all the changes they've made, <clears throat> and <clears throat> and just kind of putting it all back together um, after what was obviously a disappointing season. All right, before I let you go, I want to do I want to go back to Harden because. <laughs> Okay, like you and I are, we're we're liberal defenders of labor. We always take the side of the player when it's like, okay, the guy's still getting his job done. And as we know, he's still going to get his job done. But, but, but I don't even know if I can justify some of this. Showing up late, going to strip clubs with the mask off, the picture, and maybe it was a bad picture, but the picture of Heavy Harden, which I took delight in, um, it's – it just seems like, okay, and, and then the article that Tim McMahon did, which was fantastic, he, he has asked for literally every bit of this, and now he wants to cut bait and run away. I can't justify it. He's so fun to watch. I love the fact that a guy can be, you know, basically the only thing he's getting paid for is to stay in shape, and he's incapable of doing that. Uh, but none of it really matters because he's still going to put 50 on you. Um, he just might sweat a little bit more while he's doing it. Where are you with him right now? Are you getting kind of sick of it? Do you think he's, um, do you think he's abdicating some of his responsibilities? And how short-lived do you think his Houston, his Houston tenure will be? And I have such conflicted feelings because, first off, James Harden might be my favorite player to watch in the NBA. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I guess one of the few that just really enjoys like the. Uh, the slow grind it out, break you down. And then like, I did drive by you or kick it out. Like just the things that he does appeals to me. You know, I, I get a kick out of the ref baiting. I don't know. He's, he's just the guy for me. Um, maybe that reflects poorly on me. I, I would understand if it you're does. You're the type <laughs> of guy who rooted for Ric Flair growing up. I mean, I get it. You're like a, you're a, you're, you're a wrestling heel type of guy. There we go. That's, a, that's a pretty good assessment right there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would I would like to see him in a spot where he, you know, feels as though uh, he can win, like j- just a spot where he feels like optimized, you know, and obviously that's not Houston. But at the same time, I'd also really like to see him play with Christian Wood. I think that the two of them could be really interesting together. Mm. They could score a lot of points together and, and probably win a pretty decent number of games together too. Um, but like, you know, then we have the... Uh, acting out seems a little bit too much like, you know, you're calling him a petulant child and he's a grown, he's a grown man. Um, But, you know, we have the extended uh, preseason time in in Las Vegas and various other places, um, you know, unmasked during a pandemic, which, you know, just isn't the thing to do. uh, Even if you aren't, uh, you know, who knows what his particular beliefs on the, the, the thing are, it's still not the thing to do when you have uh, a job to do that requires you to be very responsible in that respect. Um, so that's, that's a mark against. Um, I, I really didn't care at all about the, the reports from like practice and he's um, uncharacteristically heated in practice and he, he threw the ball at Jay Sean Tate. The, the name came back to me. Um, like none of that really bothered me. Like, you know, people criticize him for being too aloof and now he's He's being intense, you know, yeah. like he can't win either way that way. But then the pictures of like, you know, during, during, I guess, training camp preseason, he's, he's out violating like 
um, COVID protocols. Um, and uh, that's not great. Um, so it, it seems as though like things have to come to a head. You know, it seems as though eventually a trade is going to have to be made just because um, he's, he's treading in some fairly unprecedented waters considering his behavior is coming um, during a public health crisis. So, you know, it's, it's making it hard to be like fully team hardened, which is like sort of my default all along until uh, fairly recently. So, I know. I feel bad. I, I feel bad for you. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want you to have to go through that. It's tough. Because <laughs> I did the same it's thing. Very, it's very conflicting. <laughs> I was defending. Um, oh, I was talking to a Heat fan and he was like, I don't want Harden. He doesn't pass. And I was like, well, he does pass. It's just, it's different. It's, it's, it's kind of like playing with LeBron. Is he as much of a creator? No, LeBron's probably the, one of the best passers we've ever seen, but it's not like Harden is a total ball hog. Like he'll get you nine assists. Um, and he's an offense unto himself. So I always find myself defending him and I've been team Harden for a long time, but you're right. Like, and, and, and I'm also team go out and get drunk the night before, as long as you show up and play the game, then you're fine. Not necessarily the night before, but you know, these guys are allowed to have their own personal lives. They're grown men. Um, and as long as it's not affecting the, their, uh, their work and their performance, then you, you have to sort of accept that, but you throw the COVID part into it. And like Jeff Weltman put it great the other day, they're telling magic players, you know, whatever you bring into the facility, I'm bringing home to my family. And so this is a responsibility that we all have to each other. And, you know, like you said, you know, regardless of how convinced you are um, that we're being overly cautious or, or not being cautious enough, uh, every single player in the league knows that this is real. And, every, and this is a unique circumstance. You can't work from home when you're an NBA player. And so it, it does. It, it, frankly, it pisses me off that he's out doing that. Um, and, and putting, you know, members of the Rockets organization at risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, until the, the most recent thing with the, uh, the maskless birthday parties with, uh, strippers and, and stuff came out that apparently is very recent. Um, you know, I, I was fairly steadfast in my, my, uh, my support, but it's just becoming really, really hard to shrug off at this point, you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, um, I appreciate you jumping on as always. I, I, I wish you peace, uh, with your, with your James Harden dilemma. Cause I know how <laughs> difficult it is. Uh, it's content. It's content. That's it what matters. Content, but you're a net, you're just like me. You're a natural contrarian. And yeah. at this point it's hard to, it is getting hard, uh, to defend him. Maybe, you know, hopefully they'll put a cap on it soon. Um, or, or come to a, a conclusion soon and we can get James Harden out there healthy playing basketball, putting up 50 points, uh, for whatever team it is sooner than later. He's Duncan Smith. He's an old friend. He's one of the best doing it uh, for Hoops Habit now. He's at Duncan Smith NBA um, on Twitter. And make sure you check out all of his stuff, including just posted today a, a great piece on James Wiseman making his debut for the Golden State Warriors. Dunk, thanks so much. We'll talk soon, okay? Thanks, Jake. Anytime. All right, there he is, Duncan Smith. Jake Chapman here with you. Follow me on Twitter as well as at Jake Chapman. OM. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be safe, everybody.